Hello, friends. Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today's guest is Mr. Derek Green. He is the chair of the Department of Communication. Now here's your host, Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah, for that introduction. I'm Mark Weinstein, and I want to welcome everyone back for another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. Before I get to my conversation with Derek Green, which I'm sure you're going to enjoy, I want to thank you for the outpouring of interest and support for last week's podcast with Dr. Michael Furman. I can tell by viewing the data of how many people listened and shared this podcast that Dr. Furman had a significant impact in the lives of many, including you. Thanks for honoring Dr. Furman in this way by listening. I also want to thank you for your faithfulness to the podcast since we started in September 2019. In record time, the Cedarville Stories podcast has exceeded 10,000 downloads, and with the large number of people who listen to Dr. Furman's podcast, we're quickly approaching 11,000. We're thrilled that so many are listening and enjoying the podcast. Thanks for your faithfulness, and remember, you can suggest names of potential guests or give feedback on a podcast by emailing me at mweinstein at cedarville.edu. I would love to hear from you. Joining me on the program today is Derek Green, Chair of the Department of Communication and Assistant Professor of Communication at Cedarville University. Derek is a 1997 graduate of the university, earning a bachelor's degree in, you guessed it, communication studies with a specialization in organizational communication. Derek earned a master's degree from Miami University of Ohio, and he helped coach Miami's forensic team before his graduation. Prior to coming back to his alma mater in 2002, Derek was on the faculty at Kansas State University. That's an impressive resume, Derek, and I welcome you to the podcast. Thank you. There are several directions we could start this program. Uh, You lead the Department of Communication at Cedarville. You are the chair of the Kingdom Diversity Committee, which is an important role. You also teach and mentor students. With all that said, let's begin actually um, with uh, how you came to Cedarville University. Uh, You're originally from East Cleveland, Ohio. So I'm interested in knowing uh, right out of the gate, how did you find Cedarville uh, University? Well, you know, that is an interesting, a very interesting story because, um, you know, I don't want to use the word accident because we believe that God's hand isn't anything, but I can't say that uh, when I graduated from high school that Cedarville was even on my radar screen. I actually attended Kent State University uh, before I came to Cedarville, uh, right out of high school, and uh, didn't really enjoy that experience. I had the feeling that I wanted to go to a Christian college, but I didn't know a whole lot uh, about Christian colleges. And so after talking to uh, my, my mother in particular, the pastor of one of the churches in East Cleveland, Ohio, uh, Pastor Hawkins, was a trustee on the board at Cedarville. And so he talked to her about me going to Cedarville, it was Cedarville College then. But I also uh, applied to Moody and I applied to Wheaton University. And uh, Moody, uh, there there was some red tape that I couldn't cut through in in order to finish the admissions process there. Uh, I, I did get accepted to Wheaton uh, but the the cost factor was a little bit out of my my range. And I ended up at Cedarville because all they asked of me was a $250 deposit to reserve my spot. And so that is, um, in a nutshell, how I, how I ended up at Cedarville. Uh, I had never 
been to this campus before. So um, when I came to Cedarville, I stepped on the campus for the first time on January 2nd, 1994. And I started classes on January 3rd, 1994. I had no introduction to the institution. Everything I knew about it was from correspondence. There was no one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, communication. And so I really went in blind to all that Cedarville could offer me, all that Cedarville would do to help me grow. I had no idea. I, I really did not have any clue about uh, the impact that this institution would have on me. So let, let me uh, step in here. So um, you, you come to the school basically sight unseen, blind, as you say. How was your experience, um, your, you know, in the first semester and then the whole, the whole comprehensive experience? Obviously, it was a good one because you came back to teach. <laughs> well, it was actually, I, I tell people Cedarville University is, is one of the most important experiences of my life. It has shaped significantly who I am. Um, there was a getting started group, uh, and they don't do everything that they do in spring and fall semester, but they do. They did do a little bit. It was winter quarter back then. Okay. Uh, one of my one of the getting started group leaders was from um, Northeast Ohio near the Akron Canton area, and at that time, everybody who lived in that area had the same area code two one six. So um, I would say in December, before I before I actually set foot on campus, she called me, and just said. I got a list of I've got a list of people here uh, that that are that are in my getting started group, and I just I wanted to call you because we have the same area code, and just and just tell you that I'm really excited about having you on campus. Oh, wow! So that was that 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 just came out of nowhere, and uh, we're still friends to this day. Um, I I spent I spent uh, multiple Thanksgiving uh, with her family, her husband, and her children. They still live in Northeast Ohio. Her son is actually a student here now. And uh, we, we, we sit down, we talk, we have meals together. But one of the things that that showed me was the lifelong lasting friendships was one of the key aspects of my experience here. Uh, the second person that we interacted with uh, once we got on campus was, a, was a, a very important person named Dr. Jim Phipps. And uh, you know, being from the inner city of East Cleveland, coming out to the cornfields, uh, my parents had some apprehension about leaving me here once we once we got here and we saw how isolated it was and right. some some of the challenges there. And uh, we met Dr. Phipps and Dr. Phipps convinced my parents, particularly my mother, that everything was going to be OK. He said, we'll take care of him. And that was comfort for her. And they said, OK, we, we, we believe you. And so he kind of set the tone um, in that regard for me, because from that day forward, he always treated me like his son going from, from that day. Uh, going, it, it extends until this very day. Uh, he will still treat me as as his son, and so that was a key experience. And then my third, my third um, early experience in that situation was my. I didn't. I never visited Cedarville before I came here to go as a as a student. So my first experience in a classroom at Cedarville was as a student, and there was a uh, individual named Professor Kurt Moreland, who was my very first teacher at Cedarville University, Fundamentals of Speech. And through being in his class, I got the feeling that, okay, this is good, this will be good for me. Uh, and uh, I will be able to grow here, I'll be able to, to uh, be loved here, and uh, I'll be able to grow as a Christian. And so my experience at Cedarville is, is, really, it was, is really summed up in those three experience, experiences, lifelong friends, 
uh, godly people mentoring me and uh, strong faculty in the classroom who helped me grow both um, as a student, but more importantly, as a Christian young man, sure. uh, they helped me grow. Sure. And so a lot of a lot of my passion is for what I do now is I I want to do everything I can to help um, every student have the same type of experience that I had as a Cedarville student. Okay, thanks for sharing. That's a that's a so Cedarville kind of story. I hear that a lot uh, uh, with current students and and even alum, young alums like yourself. So as I think back to your history, again, you're from East Cleveland, you're an Ohio guy, uh, you go to college here, you go to Miami of Ohio. How difficult of a transition was it for you then to leave Ohio, Miami, Oxford, and go to Kansas State? Well, it was, it was certainly a challenge because I had not lived outside the state of Ohio um, before I moved to Kansas, I hadn't spent any significant amounts of time outside the state of Ohio. So that was definitely an interesting challenge. And uh, I had a lot of stereotypes about the state of Kansas that were not true. But <laughs> I remember before before I headed out there, I remember thinking, you know, I'm going to see somebody's going to be driving their herd to the market right down the middle of the street. And, you know, it's this empty, barren land. And and it really not, at least the part that I was in, Kansas Kansas State is in Manhattan, Kansas, uh, which which is, you know, there are some uh, barren lands of Kansas, but Manhattan is in a place before you get to that, before you get to that part of the state of Kansas. But, you know, God, God was really faithful to me in making the transition from Ohio to, to uh, Kansas because I didn't know anybody out there, similar situation to when I came to Cedarville. Sure. I didn't know anybody out in the state of Kansas. Uh, I went there because that's where the job opportunity was taking me. And God really blessed me and protected me and provided for me. When I went to Kansas State, I literally had nothing. Um, uh, literally, uh, I went with the clothes on my back uh, out there for my first job. And God took care of me. He provided me with uh, a place to stay. Uh, he took care of my needs. And uh, it was really a growing experience to see uh, God's faithfulness to me as I made that transition out to Kansas State. So it, there were some challenges there, but uh, God was faithful. God was extremely faithful and blessed me uh, uh, with good people who really did take very good care of me while I was making that transition. So let's close the circle a little bit. So uh, you leave Ohio, a place where you've always lived to a place where you never been, didn't know a soul. God is faithful. He provides. You worked there about three years at K-State. And then you find your way back to Cedarville. What, what factors uh, motivated you to leave Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz in Kansas to come back home to Ohio? <laughs> well, I was actually, I was enjoying my time at Kansas State. I really appreciate the challenges in secular academia, being a Christian in secular academia, and uh, representing my faith in secular academia. So I really was not thinking about coming back to Cedarville. Um, I got a phone call uh, from uh, Dr. Phipps, who said to me that we're getting ready to make the transition to semesters. And when we make that transition, we think we're going to have a position available. Are you interested? And I said, no, because I was really, I really was enjoying myself in Kansas. Uh, but uh, God had uh, different plans for me, and uh, uh, sometime later, I get a, form, a phone call uh, from one of my uh, former 
uh, faculty members who says, uh, where's your application at? We don't seem to have it yet. <laughs> I know, because I haven't. Now that's, a, now that's a faculty member at Cedarville? Yes, yes. Well, okay. one of the faculty members in the department, of, in, the, in the communication arts department at Cedarville. Uh, okay, so they wanted you. To, they wanted you to apply. Oh, oh yeah, they want. Yeah, they definitely wanted me to apply, and they said we don't seem to have your application yet. I know I haven't sent it yet, uh, and uh, I, I kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Finally, uh, Jack Riggs, uh, who used to be the dean of the human the uh, humanity, fine arts, and Bible, he he calls me. He says, you know, we we really would like you to apply. You know, it, it we, you know Cedarville, you know what Cedarville is about. We really would like you to apply. So finally, finally, I get, I say, okay, fine, I'm going to apply. And uh, so I send off the application, and then Dr. Phipps calls me again, and he says, okay, we got your application. We got one, we got, we really want to get this done at the beginning of February. And I said, I got my, all the weekends except the first weekend in February booked for speech tournaments. So I cannot do this. And I actually told him, I said, why don't you interview all the other candidates first? If you don't, if you don't find what you like there, then you can come back to me. Yeah. And the next, and the next thing I know, I'm getting an email that says you got you have a plane ticket for the first weekend in February. Uh, we got a rental car set up for you. We'll see you in a few days. And I, I remember thinking, did I actually agree to, to do this? Uh, so apparently I did. And so I flew out. I flew out to, from Kansas back to Cedarville, and I stepped on the campus. And once I was back here. Uh, I felt like, yeah, this is this this is this is my next step, uh, and I uh, went through the interview process, and it was a, it was a tremendous it was a tremendous experience. Good to be back, and to, I recognized that I would have the opportunity for people that I had previously called teachers. I would not have the opportunity to have them as colleagues, and it was a tremendous opportunity for me. But I was also very happy where I was at. Uh, but God, as, as He has often done when it comes to Cedarville he told me it's time to go. Yeah. It's time to come back. It's so, time to have impact here. So that's been 18 years. You've been at Cedarville about 18 years. So let's, let's move into the Cedarville time. And, and I want to talk about your, how you integrate your faith in your classroom and within your job as department chair. But before I get to that, uh, give us your uh, spiritual journey, how you met Jesus, and, and then talk about how you integrate faith in him in the classroom. Well, the, the I, I've been uh, very blessed. I was very blessed to grow up in the church, and uh, my, my my parents were active in the church, uh, and so it, I have what some people might call the typical story. At a very young age, I came to the realization of knowing that uh, uh, that uh, all human beings are born in sin, and that I was I was a sinner. And that the only way to salvation was acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Yeah. Uh, I think I was six years old when I when I came to that uh, realization, and uh, I was active in the in the church uh, in almost every capacity that a person can be uh, from from the age of six until the age of eighteen. So I, I sang in the choir. I served on the usher board. I was a junior deacon. Um, I served in the ministry in the pulpit for the church before I went before I went to college. So it's always been a part of my life having that recognition that salvation only exists through uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, I think the, the the challenges weren't in uh, coming to that realization. Some of the challenges were just the environment that I lived in, and uh, the, you know the, there were a lot of people around me who 
did not share my faith and uh, wondered why we were when we were playing basketball in the backyard. Six o'clock on Wednesday rolls around. I got to get the choir rehearsal. So the game's not over yet. Game's not over yet, but I got to go. I, I got to go. I got to walk. I got to walk down to the church. So, uh, I, but I was very blessed. I was very blessed that my that uh, my my parents were committed in church and they raised us in church. And uh, in spite of the challenges of growing up in the inner city, we were able to remain faithful uh, in our service to the Lord. So how that, do you, oh, go ahead. I was just, that leads me to, uh, when you talk about integrating faith in the classroom, I, I always try to uh, help students see the practical side of doing that. What's the practical application of living out your faith? Uh, we want to we want to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but then He calls us to um, live out our faith. And so, what does that what does that look like? And uh, I often remind students that you know we're going to face challenges. I face challenges uh, as a student and growing up. We're going to face challenges, but what we want to remember is that God is with us, and that God is God is faithful. God is bigger than the in the challenges that we're facing. And that we need to trust him. And I can, I try to empathize with some of the difficulties the students may be having in doing that in certain circumstances because the challenges seem so severe. And I say, I get it. I get it. But we, we, we have to remain, we want to remain faithful uh, to him. And then from, you know, when you look at communication, from an integration uh, uh, standpoint, I always teach students that everything that we do communicates a message about our faith. Even the smallest acts communicate a message about our faith. And so the things that we do that we think don't matter, they impact somebody. So the good things that we do that we don't even realize that we did, God uses those to impact people. And then some of the mistakes and things that we make that we don't think are a big deal, they have the potential to impact people negatively. So we want to always be conscious about the messages that we're communicating. As faculty and as students, uh, as community members, we want to be conscious, always be conscious about the messages that we're communicating, um, because um, all communication has the potential to have impact. And uh, we want to be conscious of that. Yeah. And as I have watched you in the 10 years I've been at Cedar, almost 11 uh, come January, I see Jesus in you, how you treat people how you encourage others, how you've encouraged me. Uh, so I want to encourage you with that statement that uh, I see Jesus in you uh, very often, very regularly. So thank you for that encouragement. As a um, faculty member and department head, what is it about Cedarville that truly gets you excited each day to come teach and lead your department? Well, I know that I'm going to be able to uh, talk about our faith in whatever meeting or classroom that I'm I'm in. And that really gets me excited and enthusiastic because I understand that if a faculty member is uh, struggling, we're gonna be able to pray about it. There's gonna be an expectation that we pray about it. And uh, we're gonna be able to take it to, we're gonna be able to live in biblical community with each other. And that's really, I, I, love, I love living in biblical, biblical community. Uh, every day that I pray for my students, um, I always pray. I pray for the challenges that they're facing, but I always include in that prayer that God would bring other believers around them that they may be able to experience biblical community. 
And that is what really gets me excited. I love living in biblical community with people and, and sharing our, our faith. And having spent some time in secular academia, as much as I enjoyed the opportunity to uh, be a witness to people who were not believers, I enjoyed even more to be able to live in biblical community with people who share the same faith. And that is what gets me, that is what gets me really excited is, is just li living in biblical community, not only with faculty and staff uh, at the university, but also with our students as well. Yeah, we, we both work at a special place. Cedarville is a special place. Um, unless you've been here and, and lived here, uh, you don't really know it firsthand. But uh, So I encourage anyone listening to this podcast, if, if, they're, if they have prospective students, uh, I really encourage you to check out Cedarville. You can do that at cedarville.edu. Derek, one decision Cedarville's leadership team made three years ago, and I, I need to say that it happened on your watch as the chair of the Department of Communication, was to build a campus newsroom so the university faculty and staff could use for media interviews and promotional videos. How has this studio impacted student recruitment opportunities for your department and even helped you and your, your students who are studying communication? Well, I don't think that there's anything that is, is stronger when you're talking about academics than to be able to point to somebody and say, what we're learning in the classroom, you will have an opportunity to apply in situations that matter. And we understand that the newsroom uh, has grown probably beyond anybody's expectations and opportunities that exist there. But we also understand that students have played a role in helping to maintain that and helping to allow that to grow. And so as a, as a faculty member and as a department chair, when I can point to those types of things and say, and, and take somebody into the newsroom and say, look, you see the, these things, or if you saw this interview happen and uh, it was this person, it was this person, it happened here. And it's likely that one of our students uh, was involved in making that happen. So that, that is a critical component to be able to have hands-on experience. But I, I think that uh, the thing that kind of separates it is that it's hands-on experience that matters. What happens in the newsroom has a significant impact on Cedarville University. And that's where we have a lot of opportunities um, in our department where we can uh, say to prospective students, you're going to write things, you're going to produce things, you're going to be involved in processes that are valued by the university and that the university will be using uh, to communicate its message and market itself to other people. That's a very strong, that's a very, very strong recruiting tool. And uh, it has been it has been helpful in bringing people to our department. Do you, do you recall any uh, specific story where you've been able to leverage this communication laboratory per se to um, advance the vision and the mission and the visibility of your program? Yeah, I can't remember the uh, uh, congressional representative name, uh, but we had we had one on on campus uh, and Warren but, Davidson. Yeah, and we we weren't we weren't even conducting them. We were the we were the uh, conduit or the filter. They, I think it was Fox Business, right? Uh, right. That was actually conducting the interview, but it was happening on our campus. And I, uh, for 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 a long time after that moment happened, uh, when we when I would take people into the newsroom, I would say, you know. Uh, this congressional a member of Congress was sitting here. Uh, we had the interview. It was a national uh, event, and uh, people were uh, there was definitely impact on wow that our, we're involved in that. And I told them, I said our students were the ones uh, conduct uh, conducting that uh, or handling the equipment to make it happen. 
that's a huge thing is that you, because it communicates a trust in students that we're going to trust them with this very big event. We also had the, uh, the uh, town hall, uh, I think was, was it last year, two years ago, uh, which, was a, which was a significant event and uh, our students very involved in that. And, and since um, I was there to watch uh, the people come in and say, no, we don't need to bring in our own people because you have everything we need here to make this happen. Uh, that was a monumental event to be able to tell students and uh, pr pr prospective parents, hey, we trust them because they're good students, they're well-trained, and they can handle uh, these type of events. So, yeah, there's been a couple of different times where I've really been able to point to specific events that we put on and said, yeah, our students were involved in that. Yeah, that's huge. So, Derek, we have about five minutes left, so I want to... Um... I want to hit one topic specifically, and if there's time, I want to have a little fun with you as well. But I want to transition to your role as the chair of the Kingdom Diversity Committee, because it's a huge and important committee. Uh, perhaps your role here has never been more important than today with all the unrest in our nation. How has this committee been able to influence culture at Cedarville in just a short period of time? Well, I think, first of all, we have been uh, given opportunity to do so. And I have to I have to really thank uh, the administration for recognizing the need and uh, giving us some opportunities to uh, make some policy recommendations, giving us opportunities to uh, prepare a couple of chapels to address the topic and then giving us the opportunity to look around the university and say, are there other events that we can put on? to make this happen. So it's a long-term vision that started with the administration's recognition that this is a critical part of living out our, our, our faith. And then we were blessed by God to have a real good quality group of uh, faculty and staff members. And we have a graduate student on the committee, but a real strong group of people coming together with a lot of good ideas about how we can impact um, the campus. And so we, we have some, we, we've been able to do some things this semester. We, people have seen a couple of chapels. Uh, we're looking at a Thursday night live event uh, at the end of October. And then we're hoping to be able to put on some events in spring semester that really help, help us or continue to help us foster the conversation um, on this significant topic. But God has blessed us. I, 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 like I said, I really have to give uh, a lot of credit to the administration for recognizing it and opening some doors for us. And then I got to give the team uh, uh, credit because we have good people, good, strong people uh, with a lot of great ideas. And, you know, I get they, they say I'm the chair, of the, but it is not it is not about me. It is about the people around that table. We have some amazing people. Around I think you know one of them, but we have some amazing people. We have some amazing people around that ta around that table there. I, I know I know several on the com on the committee. And I think they're all wonderful, and and I'm glad that you're leading it. I mean, as an African American um, in a very white culture, um, this is important. Um, and uh, you and like Patrick Oliver, Sarah Gump, uh, you guys all can speak into this from different perspectives. As you look at the committee, um, what do you hope to achieve in year one? Well, I think that we want to lay a foundation that um, other people, whoever serves on this committee going forward, can work from. Uh, if we're going to have long-term institutional change, we need a strong foundation 
put down for that change to uh, happen. So whether or not our specific ideas are carried forward or not is not really the most important thing. The most important thing is that we have uh, set up a foundation for cultural change. We've kind of laid a roadmap for the type of things that need to happen in order to have long-term cultural change at, at Cedarville. So year one is about putting down that foundation for building up um, um, a, a, a system or a thought process for, for biblical cultural uh, diversity at Cedarville, and then allowing other people to be able to come along and carry that vision forward. That's great. So at the start of the podcast, even before we started recording, I said I want to have a little fun with Derek Green. And um, so I'm saving my fun questions for the end because I know you're an avid uh, fan of Cleveland sports teams, the Indians, the Browns, uh, the Cavaliers. Um, so and people know that on campus that you are really into it. Why is it important for you to follow Cleveland sports teams? <laughs> It actually, um, my mother uh, in the in the late in the late seventies was a cheerleader for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Really, and so yes, my father would sing the national anthem um, at the Richfield Coliseum. My mother oh, yeah. was a cheerleader, and so they knew they knew many of the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers uh, fans uh, or players. Excuse me, players in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, who were some uh, of the players? Bingo Smith, Austin Carr. Campy uh, Russell, Jones, Campy Russell, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they knew they knew them, uh, some of them personally, and uh, that really is where they would take they would take my brother and myself to the Coliseum uh, for practices. When my father had to practice the national anthem, or my mom had cheerleading practice, they would take us to the Coliseum. Uh, so we knew the announcer Joe Tate uh, knew them personally, and that's really where my fandom. Uh, for Cleveland sports uh, got started is being in the Richfield Coliseum, uh, cheering for the Cavaliers in the late 70s and early and early 80s. Derek, it's great talking with you today. Um, I'm going to come back to the more the serious side of the podcast. And this is a question I love asking people, and that is, what is the Lord teaching you right now as you study his word and as you're living through a COVID-19 world? Um, Galatians 6.9. Uh, there's a scripture that I have that I when I was coaching the forensics team read before at the beginning of every national tournament that talks about not growing weary and doing good, because in due season, we shall reap if we don't faint. That is the lesson that I am learning, um, that I'm applying every single day because we have COVID challenges every single day. But I challenge myself. I challenge faculty and I challenge students. Do not grow weary in doing good because we will reap in due season if we don't faint. And that is the message that is being driven home to me right now. Oh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, it's a great lesson. We need to stay the course, uh, look toward the ultimate prize, uh, that of being Jesus, and uh, do our job to, to the best of our ability. Derek, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. You're a delight to be with. Uh, we're doing this through Zoom. And uh I'm off campus, and uh, so what a, what a delight to spend time with you. Thanks for joining me and sharing your story this week on the Cedarville Stories podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cedarville Stories podcast, brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by this conversation, like I was, please share this episode with a friend. If you know of an awesome Cedarville story, share it with us. 
we would love to showcase how God is at work in the Cedarville family. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.